Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Jeff Brown. If you don't know me, uh, typically I stand back here and I have a guitar strapped to my chest. Uh, and I've taken it off today because they're letting the worship leader preach. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we're going to have fun. My, my, son, my son, Caleb, who's 10, said to me a couple months ago, he said, Dad, uh, you're not a real pastor. <laughs> so after I gave him a swirly, I, uh, no, I didn't do that. I told him, I said, why do, you, why do you say that? And he said, Dad, because you haven't preached. So I'm about to become a pastor this weekend, y'all. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, we're excited. Hey, before I get into it, too, I, I need to show you my family in case you have not met my family. This is my fam. Uh, my, I hope you're clapping for my, my, my wife because she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. My wife, Kara, of, uh, we've been married 14 years, uh, is right there in the middle. My son, Caleb, who's 10. My daughter, Samaria, on the left, who is 8. And my beautiful twin daughters, Isabel and Olivier. So they're 6. So it's controlled chaos at home. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, to share some things with you this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1. Uh, kind of in the middle of your Bible, a little more to the right. John chapter 1, verse 19 is where we're going to get eventually. So uh, put, your, uh, put your finger there. Whoop, hold your place there. Um, we've been talking about Legos in August, right? We've been talking about uh, different things that have to do with Legos. And if you have not seen the Lego movie, um, it's okay. You're not... You're not <laughs> We're not judging you for not seeing the Lego movie, but let me give you a rundown of the movie just a little bit. So it it's, takes place in Lego City, where everything is made out of Legos. Good. You have half a movie right there. Uh, everything's made out of Legos. And uh, we find our main character, whose name is Emmett. Good job, kids. Uh, Emmett is our main character. He's a construction worker in Lego City. And we find out very very soon in the movie that everybody in Lego City does everything the same way every day, okay? Creatures of habit, just doing everything the same way. And we're also introduced to the bad guy, because you gotta have a bad guy in a movie, and his name is Lord Business, Lord Business, which for those of you in the business sector, don't take that as a, a judgmental statement, that's just what they named him in the movie. Um, so Lord Business wants to keep everything the same way. He likes it that way. And there's a prophecy that someone will come along called the special, right? The special will come along and he will free the people of Lego City, defeat Lord Business and save the day. And Emmett, our construction worker, finds out that, that he is misunderstood. Uh, he's, he's mistaken for the special. They think he's a special, but he's actually not. He's not a master builder. He's not creative. He's not strong doesn't have any special abilities whatsoever, and he's mistaken for this special. And so this belief that he's a special just pushes the storyline along, uh, and they have great adventures, and uh, it's actually a decent, 
decent movie if you haven't seen it. But I took my kids to go see this at the theater, and I left the theater, and as a 38-year-old man, I found myself saying, I want to be the special. (laughs) Kind of want to be the special. Kind of want to be spectacular. It's like when I was, I graduated from eighth grade, and my family moved from Orlando, Florida, all the way, wait for it, to Redding, California. (laughs) I know, Redding, California. (laughs) Like over 4,000 miles we moved. That was like moving to Mars at that age for me. And all I knew of California at the time was what I saw on TV. So I figured my days in California would be surfing, uh, growing my beautiful blonde hair, and dating my cheerleader girlfriend. That's what I thought California would be. But I moved to Northern California, (laughs) where my days were filled with rednecks and rodeos. And yeah, not the same, not the same. But I got there, and I'm the new kid on the block. I'm a ninth grade, I'm a freshman, and I want to be special. I want to stand out a little bit. So what do I do? I join the football team for three days. Three days I lasted. <laughs> this is the only picture that I have that's proof that I was in the football team. And yes, I know the pads are supposed to go on the inside of your uniform, but I was on the team for three days. <laughs> I hadn't gotten to that point yet. But I didn't make it. My coach said I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, it was dry heat and uh, kind of have a chubby exterior, so didn't really make it more than three days. So I tried to be special, it didn't really work out. But I think all of us at some level can relate to Emmett. We wanna be, we wanna be the special, we wanna be spectacular. Like have you ever, have you ever wanted to go to your own funeral? Have you ever wanted to go to your own funeral? Have you ever wanted to, not to like mess with people, like, so that would be fun. I think, I think it'd be fun to go and see who came, <laughs> who, who didn't come, <laughs> to see who, who's crying, see who's not crying. But also I think I would love to go to hear the stories that people share about my life. What sticks out to them? I would love to hear the people who, did I make a difference in their life? Did something I say or did make a difference? Did I leave a legacy? And that's the kind of spectacular, that's the kind of special that I think all of us in here kind of want to be at some level. As followers of Christ, we would say that we want to we be used by God. We want God to use us in what he's doing in history uh, and in, in our city, in our country, in our nation, and around the world. We have a vision of, of as a church that we would uh, help Salem be a city at peace with God. And I think all of us would say that we wanna be, play a role in that, we wanna be spectacular. But here's the problem. The problem is that though many of us want to be spectacular, our definition of who can be spectacular is messed up. We've all got ideas of what the spectacular people in our world talk like, look like, smell like, dress like, and they don't, they don't match us. 
So what happens is we do what Emmett did in the, in the, in the Lego movie. Because in the, in the Lego movie, Emmett doubted the entire time he was the special, and it stopped him many times from accomplishing anything. Kept him from doing much. And it, that happens to us. We say, I'm not spectacular because of A, B, or C, and like, like the sports metaphor, it keeps us benched. Keeps us feeling useless to God. And so this morning, I want to talk about three lies that we may have believed about who is spectacular and about if we can be spectacular. The first lie is this. I can't be spectacular because of my past. This is the oldest one in the book. Something happened in the past, something you did, something that was done to you, and you've branded yourself as a failure. And nothing spectacular ever comes from failures, right? We believed that there's something wrong with us and shame sets in and we say there's something wrong with me and we stay benched. The second lie that we believe is I can't be spectacular because I'm not them. Here's what I mean by that. The first week of Family Gathers, Rod Pepping talked to us a little bit about the comparison trap. Where, where you and I tend to compare our insides with everyone else's outsides. Our insecurities with what we think other people are insecure about. Uh, and we, we look at candidates for the special and we say they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't have my issues and shame sets in again, and we say, something is wrong with me because I'm not like that person. I don't have their skills, their gifts. And we keep ourselves out of the game. The third lie that we believe is I can't be spectacular because my life is ordinary. Matthew Redman wrote a book called God of the Mundane. It's a real boring book. <laughs> I'll wait for you to get that one. Uh, he says... We wake up in the morning, shower, dress in last year's fashions, eat the same breakfast we did the day before, kiss our significant other, kiss the kids, go to work or stay home for the work that never ends. We have supper, watch some TV, do it again. Though we enjoy vacations and short seasons of excitement, we for the most part have ordinary days. We will not be famous. We will not be stars in our culture's glittering nights. And though many of us have drunk deeply of a celebrity-saturated world, we live a life apart from that. Oh, we want to be famous. We want to be known and revered, but that's not the reality. The reality is no one will write books about us. And outside of our families, most of us will be forgotten. This sounds terrible, but only because fame, which was never ours, has obscured our view of what really is. And what is that? That we are part of that not-so-exclusive group of men and women throughout history known as everyone else. We have been conditioned to believe that spectacular does not equal ordinary. That spe spectacular does not equal average. And we look at our ordinary lives and we interpret our ordinariness, is that a word? Ordinariness, as not being useful to God. 
and shame sets in. And we wonder if we're only valuable to God if we do life-changing things. So, three lies. These three lies we gotta unlearn, people. Richard Rohr says that transformation is more often about unlearning than learning. We've gotta unlearn these lies that we've told ourselves. So I wanna go back to the first lie and talk about it real quick. The first lie is I can't be spectacular because of my past. If I say the name Moses, do you think spectacular? Do you? You should. One of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, led him out of Egypt. But what about his past? He was a murderer on the run. Killed an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew slave and left. Anybody in here have that in their past? I mean, pretty awful past, but pretty amazing, spectacular things came out of that. How about Peter? Peter was a friend of Jesus. He was in his inner circle of 12 disciples. And Peter was the one who, on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, uh, preached a sermon, and 3,000 people came to faith. But what about his past? He was a hothead. He definitely had some anger management issues, right? Couldn't hold his tongue. And even after Jesus said, you will deny me three times, Peter still denied him three times. But we we consider Peter a failure who went on to do some spectacular things. Paul, who was known as Saul and then became Paul, he probably gets the biggest trophy of all. What was his past? He persecuted Christians, gathered them up, threw them in jail, ruined their lives, killed them. But we, we quote Paul's words almost as much as we quote Jesus' words. I could go on and on with stories of failures who went on to do really key things in history. And if you're here today and you think that your past disqualifies you from doing anything spectacular for God, you're in good company. Paul says this, we forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting what lies behind because the truth is God accomplishes spectacular things through failures. But how does God use failures? Like a, like a, a glass bowl or a white, white ceramic bowl that has broken on the floor, it's useless, right? Failures are useless. At least we think so. Now, but what do you do if you break a bowl what do you do with it? No, let me rephrase the question. What do you do if you break your mom's bowl and you don't want her to know about it? <laughs> you glue it. You try to glue it. And what do you use? Clear glue. Because you don't want her to see where the cracks are. You, you put it back together meticulously and you don't want her to see the cracks. I found out about this Japanese style of art called wabi-sabi. Say it with me. Wabi. You can say it again, it's fun. But wabi sabi is this Japanese style of art that I think illustrates the heart of God because when we break something and we put it back together with clear glue, but when in wabi sabi you break something and then you put it back together with clear glue that has gold glitter in it. And so what does it do for the, the cracks? It accentuates them, right? 
All the imperfections are highlighted. What a beautiful picture of the heart of God towards what we consider failures. We've all got imperfections and cracks, but Jesus is called the Redeemer. And the best definition I've ever heard of redemption is that Jesus takes what what never should have happened and makes it like it was always planned that way. Where we see cracks and imperfections and brokenness, God sees beauty and opportunity. Because our spectacular God accomplishes spectacular things through failures. Here's the second lie, and I want to talk about the second, second one. I can't be spectacular because I'm not them, this comparison trap. If you've got John 1 in your, uh, open up John 1, <clears throat> excuse me, starting uh, verse 19. John the Baptist was a crazy dude. Lived in the desert, that's not crazy. Ate honey, that's not crazy. Ate locusts, though. Come on. A little too crunchy for my taste. But, kind of crazy. Came before Jesus, prepared the way for Jesus, baptized and taught. And the Jewish leaders come to John the Baptist and they say, uh, this is the story. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet, he answered? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I want to point out two things in these verses. One is on this slide. Do you see what, who he knew he was? I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. John's identity was in who he knew himself to be, but there's a second part to that because earlier, you catch it? When he, res- he responds with, I am not the Messiah, I am not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. He knew who he was, but he also knew who he wasn't. Folks, this was powerful for me when I read this because if we could only know who we're not and be confident of who we're not, We look around the room and, you're, and you may see people that you, you want their gifts. You want what they have been given. But that's not who you are. And we've failed to celebrate who we are. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. Three years ago, I was given the opportunity to join a team here called the PMT. I know it sounds like a delicious Subway sandwich. <laughs> but it's not. PMT stands for Pastoral Management Team. A lot of things around here at Salem Alliance are done in teams. And so this is no exception. It's a group of senior leaders who get together and and pray for the church and make decisions and and talk and listen to the Holy Spirit. And I was able to to join them. I mean, this is, these are all-stars, right? I walk in the room and they're all-stars. I mean, Steve Fowler, Rob Childs, Brian Candela, Rod Pepping, Laura Scherer, Mike Jarrett, Steve Van Garen, Barbara Fletcher. <laughs> I mean, I collected all these people's baseball cards growing up. Like, 
And here I am stepping into this, this room 36 at the time and being given the opportunity to, to sit with them. And I found myself just growing in respect for these people because of the way they loved each other, because of the way they strategized, because of the way they interpreted the Bible. The way Rob Childs makes the most amazingly perfect peanut butter and honey sandwiches every day. How does he do it? But I, I grew in respect, and with that respect, I also grew in frustration at how I was made because I saw all these people around me, and many of them are extroverts. I'm not, I'm an introvert. Proud of it. <laughs> I would. Seriously, I wouldn't hang out with people if it weren't for my wife. Y'all exhaust me. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I'm also an internal processor and a slow processor. Processor. Except when I'm driving. I, 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 I make decisions quickly there, but my wife and I joke that she'll, she'll we'll want to talk about something and she'll bring it up and she'll say, let me know how you feel in two weeks. But I'm a slow processor, and, and so these differences in me began to, to become more apparent as I was around this group of PMT leaders, and, and I found myself getting frustrated at myself. And like the parent who's comparing his kids, the, the voice in me said, why can't you be more like Steve? Why can't you be more like Brian? And so I went to my counselor. Yes, pastors can see counselors. I went to my counselor, and I said, I just, I, I'm frustrated with this. Help me process this. And my counselor said to me, Jeff, have you ever, has it ever occurred to you that the way you were wired was strategic by God? That, that how God made you was actually an intentional act to, to place you in that group of leaders and, and to be a different voice, be a different perspective. And it was strategic by God. I never thought of that. I knew who I was. I knew I was a musician. Uh, I knew as a pastor, at least today uh, I'm a pastor, uh, I knew, I knew uh, um, I'm an internal processor, I'm, I knew I'm an introvert, but I never, I never celebrated who I wasn't. But that was actually strategic. That was something different for me. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 12 where he's comparing the body of Christ, us, to the, the human body. He says, if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, what would that make it, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and some of us need to hear this today. God has put each part just where he wants it. You see, God doesn't want to change the world with a million Steve Fowlers or a million Laura Shares or a million Rob Childs or a million Jeff Browns. He made one of us. He made one of you. And that was strategic. That was on purpose. And I love Ephesians 2 where we get a glimpse into how crazy God is about how he's made us. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. And he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So the truth is, God accomplishes spectacular things through you being you. 
God accomplishes spectacular things through you being you. Let's go to the last lie, and then we're almost done. The last lie was I can't accomplish anything because my life is ordinary. The Bible is filled with miraculous stories. You and I go to movies uh, that tell the stories of miracles or spectacular things. We read books about spectacular things. We like those stories. What doesn't sell is stories about the person who just goes to work and comes back, goes to work and comes back, goes to work and comes back, or the person who, who does the same thing every day, or the person who just goes to bed, gets up, repeat, you know, that kind of stories. We don't, that doesn't sell. And if we're not careful, we can start to believe uh, that God only uses the miraculous. Because doesn't he want to use the mundane? Doesn't he want to use the ordinary? In May, I got a call from my mom that my grandpa Mac had passed away. Grandpa Mac was my uh, last living grandparent. Grandpa Mac loved the Packers. Uh, Funny story, this is free for the 9.30 service. Uh, He... My mom made him, mom's going to kill me. Hi, mom, live stream. Uh, my mom made him this Green Bay Packers, uh, like, knitted, crocheted, it was, it was, I don't remember what it was. It was a black uh, sweatshirt with a Green Bay Packers helmet. And when she got done, she realized that she, she, she'd done it upside down. <laughs> I mean, she worked hours on this thing, and it was upside down. And she said, we'll see if he notices. (laughs) And he didn't. I mean, think about it. To him, it's right side up. Oh, I forgot about that story until now. I love Grandpa Mac. uh, he, He was 90 years old when he died. Uh, he had uh, 20 grandchildren, 33 great-grandchildren. And all of us, I went back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the funeral, and he, uh, he was there in his casket, and we were just sitting like you are in pews in the church, and we were sharing stories about him. And here's what I noticed about my grandfather. Not a spectacular story in the bunch, not a, not a miraculous story that was shared. A lot of funny stories. Uh, Grandpa Mac was hard of hearing. And so everything was loud. And the story was told about him being in the nursing home and talking to his nurse. And he asked the nurse, do you want to know, or, or uh, do you know Jesus? And the nurse said, no. He said, do you want to know Jesus? And the nurse said, no. And Grandpa said, Grandpa said, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Uh, man, Grandpa Mac was great. But not a spectacular story was shared, except for this. And it's not really a spectacular story, but Grandpa Mac grew up in a home where his dad was a violent alcoholic. And that was his upbringing. And he became became a Christian later in his life. 
and uh, in his teens, and he married my grandma and then started to have kids and decided at that moment that his kids were not going to experience what he experienced. That alcoholism, the chain of it, would be broken with him. But nothing spectacular really happened to make that true. Every day he woke up, made the choice to be different, loved his kids, showed them the love of Jesus. And there I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, sitting across from his casket. He's not a superhero, but because of his ordinary choices, generations are changed. Because the truth is, God accomplishes spectacular things through the ordinary. So let's start to unlearn these lies that we've told ourselves that keep us on the bench. And I want to close with these three handles. Some of us need to do this first one, just need to ask the Holy Spirit to free us from the shame of our past. Shame has told you that you're useless to God. And that shame needs to go. The Holy Spirit can heal you. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that shame needs to go. And he can free you. So ask. If you want to take another step, there's a, there's a ministry around here called Life Path. And Life Path deals a lot with shame. I might give you some, some tools and some, some ways to, to keep on this journey of being free. Second thing some of you might need to do is learn more about how God made you. God's made you intentionally and that means he's gifted you with things. So if you wanna know more about yourself, there's a spiritual gifts test on our website that might give you some insight. There's gifts, there's tests galore out there that tell you all about yourself. There's strength finders. Or you just ask people around you. How do you see how God has made me? What are my strengths? And then celebrate that. And celebrate the fact that you are not like the person next to you. The third thing is this. Some of you need to just stop thinking the ordinary life is a useless life. Stop thinking that it's useless to simply love your spouse and pour out unappreciated affection on your children day after day. Stop thinking it's useless to be a mom who spends her days scraping the trampled mac and cheese off the kitchen floor. Stop thinking it's useless to be a man who works in obscurity for his wife and kids. Stop thinking it's useless to be a student in school trying to keep up and just make it to graduation day. Stop thinking it's useless to be a just and kind employer. Stop thinking it's useless to be someone staving off cancer, struggling to raise teenagers, and simply hoping against hope that your teenagers keep their jobs. Stop thinking it's useless to be a single parent just counting down the minutes to bedtime each night. Stop thinking it's useless to be out of college and in a state of limbo between your education and your career. 
Stop thinking it's useless to be tending to the health of your aged parents. You see, God delights in the ordinary existence of the unknown faithful doing unknown work. Would you pray with me? Would you take a moment? We've been learning over the past couple years how to listen to the Holy Spirit. So would you do that just for a couple seconds right now? Maybe the question you need to ask is, Holy Spirit, what's the lie that I've believed? Maybe your next question for the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit, what's the truth that I need to, to learn, that I need to believe? Holy Spirit, thank you that you're, you're, you're talking to us, you're speaking to us, that this conversation doesn't end when we walk out these doors, that this is something you're, you want to do for a lot of us in this room. You want to heal us. You want to show us how we're made. You want us to, uh, to see our worth in you, our spectacular God. We love you. Thank you so much for your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.